0: Welcome to a new episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling in Chicago, where the Vikings are victorious. They're 1-0 and in the division, and nothing is wrong, right, Ben?
1: No, nothing at all. Nothing uh, whatsoever <laughs> could be deduced from that game as a source of concern or a, a reason to um, feel anything other than enthusiastic about uh, the way they
0: played. Yeah. The Vikings have to scratch and claw and get another defensive touchdown in a 19 was a 1913 win
1: 1913. Uh, that was both the score of the game and well, I suppose the forward pass wasn't there at that point. So (laughs) you wouldn't say that offenses were, um, producing at the same level in 1913 as they did today, but no, it did, it did not feel like the most, um, modern display of offensive prowess. Let's put it that way.
0: It did not. It did not. For the first time in 56 regular season games, the Vikings were without Justin Jefferson and it looked like it. Um, Kirk cousins had 21 yards for his longest pass. That was a season low. Uh, the run game was still on a milk carton, completely missing, uh, wanted and needed in Minnesota. Um, there's just a lot of issues against the Bears' defense that wasn't that good heading into this game, and they did get healthier. Kevin O'Connell mentioned that with Jalen Johnson and Kyler Gordon coming back for Chicago's secondary, while the Vikings' uh, receivers were getting uh, obviously less healthy with Jefferson leaving. But no excuse, Ben, to go two. What was it? Two for fifteen on third down, or two for 13? two of thirteen. That's horrendous. And and you were telling me some of the stats about in terms of how much yardage and how low this ranks, just run through just kind of uh, how poor this performance was on offense.
1: Yeah, so it is the second fewest yards they've had in a game under Kevin O'Connell. The 40-3 to loss to the Cowboys last year was fewer than it was today, and I think they ended up at 220 for the day. Um, fewest yards in a victory since – 2021 uh also at soldier field where they just win all the time now uh, in an odd twist of events they had i think 195 or something like that in that game a monday bad monday night game that they won i think 17 to 9 but uh yeah so that's the company you're talking about is the loss to the cowboys last year which is probably the worst of the season and a pretty ugly victory that turned out to be um Mike Zimmer's last
0: road victory as the head coach. Yeah, not great company, not great company for what you're talking about. And it's a win that we're talking about here, even though it doesn't sound like it. The Vikings defense put the clamps on Justin Fields, who got hurt, injured his right throwing hand. The Vikings had a number of injuries added on as well with Marcus Davenport injuring his other ankle, not the ankle that made him miss three games to start the season, but, uh, the other ankle, the left ankle, uh, he injured, he hobbled off and then hopped onto a cart, uh, and got brought in presumably to the x-ray room and did not return to this game. Ezra Cleveland had a, a left or, or a foot injury. I'm not sure which foot a foot injury and was replaced by Dalton Reisner. Uh, so there were a lot of injuries, but fields was the biggest one and the Vikings defense were, they were able to get after him. Hunter had two more sacks looked phenomenal. He hit fields on that pop fly interception by Jordan Hicks. Um, this defense looked, you know, kind of like it should in terms of the pressure, even without Davenport. Um, we should probably at least get to the optimistic side of things in that yeah. they didn't have to score too many points and got another defensive touchdown to help win this game.
1: Yeah, the thing I, I thought a few times today is would they have won this game in, you know, take everything. The same, no Justin Jefferson, bad offensive performance, same Bears team. If this is last year's defense, if if it's the Ed Donatel scheme, do they win this game? I'm not sure that they do. Um, I, I think the fact that they were able to um, sort of dictate some things to the Bears. I mean, Kevin O'Connell talked about it afterwards, that the game kind of got to be on their terms defensively later on the fact that they got the pressure they did, the fact that they created the turnovers they did, largely because of the pressure, I don't know that you would have had that. It, I mean, if they play the same way they did last year under Ed Donatel, I'm not sure that they win this game because even towards the end, when the Bears had to switch quarterbacks, they were still moving the ball and and looked like they may have a chance to go back and, and win the game until the Vikings get the last interception. But uh, yeah, I, I thought... If you're looking for a positive from this, the defense and being able to be as aggressive as it was and largely effective at it, certainly I, I think is a you know maybe the biggest reason they won the game. Grand Casino would like to
0: take a moment and
1: salute the true football fan: the passion, the hope, the anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand
0: Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Yeah, they they made the game-changing plays that they needed so badly. I think Jordan Hicks said after the game, like, we made the, the plays that were there, and we've had those opportunities in earlier games and haven't made them on defense um, on offense, they kept doing some of the similar things. Kirk has a lateral uh, that is uh, initially ruled a fumble because it's uh, they thought that he recovered it in bounds. The defense, the Bears, and, and after review, they did not, and so the Vikings did catch a break on that front. Um, but Kirk has an interception on a pop fly, similar deal where he's his arm is hit uh, when Madison gets beat on the blitz. Um, but this is, I believe, the first game. Is this the first game where they won the turnover battle?
1: It is. Yes. Um, so they finally they, they get to three to, do to that. one.
0: Yep. Yeah. And then,
1: you know, <laughs> there's probably something to be said there about, I mean, all of the football truisms about you win the turnover battle, you win the game. Uh, you lose turnover battle, you lose the game. You know, that, that has largely been true for them with the, the exception of the Panthers game this year. They have not won it at all. And uh, in fact, they only had three takeaways for the season coming into the day. They doubled that total. Today by what they did and um, forced another fumble if the Bears recovered in the first half of the game too but uh, yeah I mean that that was a big part of the reason they won not only the turnovers but the fact that they turned uh, I think thirteen points off of those turnovers including the Jordan Hicks fumble recovery for a touchdown
0: yeah Hicks the thirty one year old team captain he's now got three of their six takeaways this season uh, including the fumble uh, forced fumble and recovery earlier this year. Um, on offense, they need to find some, something outside of Justin Jefferson, because we mentioned this bears defense had given up. I think it was over 50% on third down entering the game. Worse Uh, than the
1: league. It was 57 coming in. Yeah. That's really bad.
0: That's really bad. Um, that's worse than I thought. And the Vikings muster two of 13 attempts today. Um, Kirk said it's uh, you know a combination of things and obviously he's he's right but if we're parsing what is most to blame uh, what did you think on offense was the issue today when um, you did have some drops uh, you did have some execution errors but overall too just philosophy wise it seemed like they didn't know what they were doing uh, without Justin Jefferson sometimes
1: yeah I mean it it I think I said it to you in the first half, just how how tentative it all looked. I mean, in terms of, and some of that might have been they had things dialed up downfield that just weren't getting there. And I'll have to we'll have to go back and watch the tape, as as players like to say, um, watch the film. I suppose tape is. I, I'm a. I was born in 1983. That's that's showing up when I say tape.
0: Um, you're not watching reels. You're not you're not going to get the reel of Bears Vikings.
1: No, not not watching reels. Not <laughs> pulling out the VHS cassettes. Uh, watching the digital copy of the game as it's being delivered to us, being streaming web services like the rest of us do in this century. Um, yeah, I, I thought they just looked like they didn't really know how to operate without him and. The stats bear a lot of that out. I mean, he has had, I think, more than a quarter of their targets every year of his career, even in his rookie year at times where it looked like, where you know, why are they keeping Justin Jefferson under lock and key? And I think it was coming into today at 37.5% of their air yards for the year. So, I mean, a massive share of what they do offensively. But it's a little concerning, I think, when you take him out of the mix and it's not like Justin Jefferson is the only weapon they have. I mean, they have the second highest paid tight end in the league. They have a first round pick at wide receiver who still had the, the big play of the day on offense, probably should have had two. And KJ Osborne has shown he's an effective receiver, probably not the guy you want as your number two receiver most of the time, but he's serviceable. They have I think running backs that they feel like should be serviceable and they have a quarterback who's been in the league for 12 years. So it shouldn't look as much as it did today. Like it's just hard for them to operate without Justin Jefferson. I certainly, it's going to be an adjustment. Certainly it's not going to be as easy, but I thought the timing of things early looked like they were trying to just go four or five yards at a time. It just didn't seem like they wanted to try to let things open up, let cousins get through reads and, try to push the ball downfield, all that kind of stuff. It didn't seem as much like it was there. Uh, O'Connell talked about some protection things afterwards, said it was kind of a a rotating cast of missed assignments by a lot of our more reliable players. I mean, Madison gets blown up on a blitz pickup. They had drops, again. um, Cousins with a couple of uh, head scratchers, to say the least. So it was kind of a – I mean, I guess Cousins likes – I mean, he says – that a lot that it's a combination of factors he doesn't want to blame it on one thing but today there certainly was some truth to that they had a lot of things where i thought a number of people could have made things easier and that they're going to have to do that because when you lose justin jefferson there's not one person that's going to come in and completely make up for him you have to have a lot of people who collectively up the effort together and unless they do that They're going to have a hard time beating teams that are better than the Bears, which the one coming into U.S. Bank Stadium is quite a bit better than the Bears.
0: Yeah, and and really for the first time, I think in a while, I saw a defense in Chicago, an opponent of the Vikings play single high a lot Yeah. in terms of dropping the safety down, making it even harder to run Mm -hmm. for an offense that already struggles to open up lanes, even when you're playing too deep. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That seemed to make Alexander Madison's day even harder. I believe he had 44 rushing yards on 18 attempts. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's that's just really not good. This rushing game is among the worst in the league right now. Them and the Steelers are the only teams without a rushing touchdown through six weeks. There are 10 runs of 10 yards or more for an offense all came against the chargers and Panthers. They've yet to do, they haven't run for 10 yards against the bucks, Eagles, chiefs, or bears as an yeah, offense uh, on one play. It's, it's really bad how much they spent financially resource wise time, effort in the offseason to make it a, a counter punch for Jefferson. And now that he's not there, they actually need it to be more than that. And they can't run the ball and, and it's, yeah, I mean, you were there for O'Connell. It seemed to me when reading back his comments, he mentioned that we just didn't have the space that we enjoyed the last couple of weeks. I mean, that to me, it's the blocking still.
1: Yep, yep. I, I think that's it. And he has been, I think, a little more pointed in what he has said about the offensive line over the last few weeks than perhaps what we've seen him being willing to do when he's critiquing people from a podium most of the time. I I think we've talked about it, but I think when he does that, When he gets specific about stuff, you can tell it has been bothering him because he's probably lost a lot of sleep looking at the film and saying, why can't we get this fixed? I Yeah, I thought the same things came up again today where it's just you're not finding much space to operate. And if you're going to see teams playing single high, basically saying, we're going to dare you to throw the ball, you're going to have that same problem where the, the entire point of this thing was, Let's be more efficient. We heard, How many times did we hear the word efficiency in the offseason? Let's get into second and five, third and two, You know, all, all of those types of things where they're a little easier to convert. If you have teams that are starting to play in the box and you're not able to run the ball, you're going to be right back into the third and longs that you don't want to have. And you don't have your best offensive player to help bail you out of those things. So, if they're going to be able to stay afloat for the next 3 weeks without Justin Jefferson maybe more than 3 weeks we'll see they just they can't be this kind of disjointed on offense for that to work it just isn't going to be sustainable if that's the way they're going to do it
0: and, oh, yeah, they had an extra point blocked on special yeah. teams. So that's fun. Um, <laughs> looking back at that, it seemed like the pressure came through uh, between saw and Brandle. So talking about two of the more typically reliable players, um, they gave up some pressure there. It wasn't even off the edge. It was kind of in between the tackle and you know, uh, extra tackle spot on yeah. that, on that uh, yeah. protection line. But anyway, special teams, errors, offense, drops. Defense is really the only one that that showed up and uh, and once, once fields went out, I think we all had our fun with like, oh boy, they're about to lose to another backup quarterback here, but yeah. the game was pretty much over. I think once fields went out.
1: Yeah. Although, I mean, it came back at the end, Tyson Badgett or ba- however the heck you say it. Bajan,
0: I think maybe Ty-
1: Tyson Bajet, Sure. We'll go with that.
0: <laughs> uh, we'll add him to the
1: list of, uh, Nathan Peterman and, and Chase Daniel and some of the others that we've seen over the years here. Um, I I can't remember if we saw Caleb Haney. He had the the famous uh, NFC title game where he almost came back to beat the Packers a long time ago, 10, 2010. Yeah. Tyson Bajit um, had them driving to potentially take the lead until he got hit and then threw deep for uh, DJ Moore and Byron Murphy picks it off. So yeah, it it was, it was one of those, I mean, they they got off by two touchdowns, but then the, the bears start coming back and, it's okay, this is a game again. And and that's the thing. They had two first downs the entire second half. And for as well as the defense had played, if you get to a point where offenses get enough cracks at it, the way that offenses are set up, the way the league is set up, it's hard to do it. I mean, you need to be able to close games out. And they weren't able to do that today in the way that they would have wanted to. And that's That's where you need, that's really where you need to have a running game because this is not going to be a team that says, let's go out and run it in the first quarter a lot. I mean, there's whether it's O'Connell or whether it's analytics kind of talking about when it's more efficient to run. I don't think this is going to be a team that says, let's just go pound people over and over and over again in the run. And there may be times where you think it's part of the game plan, but the time that you should be able to run the ball that everybody agrees is the right time to run the ball. (laughs) Is when you are trying to chew clock and put games away in the fourth quarter, they weren't able to do that. And if you have a lead, you have to be better at that. And you, they've invested enough that you think they would be, but they haven't been able to do it. Certainly weren't able to do it today.
0: Yeah, and talking about the offense's shortcomings, O'Connell did say that you know everyone kind of took turns around the offense, you know, messing up an assignment or a block or a drop or whatever. And while there is some truth to that, I, I do think the run game would benefit from having better run blockers up front. And that was never Dalton Reisner's thing, at least according to pro football focus. He was a better pass blocker uh for Denver than he was a run blocker. He's he, I guess he's not been known to create giant rushing lanes, but Ezra Cleveland is missing linebackers out there. Garrett Bradbury is still susceptible to getting blown backward. Um we saw TJ Hawkinson yeah, today missed some blocks. We saw um, just a lot of guys uh, do that. Brian O'Neill has still had some up and down moments coming back from that Achilles injury he had last year. So I think in general, they've got a lot to fix uh, big picture wise. And I don't even know if, if any kind of O-line change would suddenly um, make that better. I wrote last week about how the O-line was playing better because uh, they did play well against the Chiefs after playing well against um, the Chargers in moments, and certainly against the Panthers. But I found myself leaning too much on all the pass blocking examples because yeah. there just haven't been too many in the run game. So um, I don't. I think this this whole big picture with the run stuff. I don't know how they turn it around this season when we're six games in and it's a pretty decent sample size of this is kind of who they are right now.
1: Well, and it's interesting because you have in. Cleveland and Bradbury, two guys that were drafted by the previous regime. And the thing that we heard about both of them is they're better run blockers than they are pass protectors. And a lot of that at the time, they were building around this wide zone scheme, obviously, with Dalvin Cook. And they had a lot of success with that. And the whole idea was, if we're going to run the ball, that's what we're going to be built to do. We can have smaller linemen that we want to get to the second level on, you know, the leading these runs and getting out in front of things. Um, the mid zone stuff, is that something where you need to have a little more size up front? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, am not a, uh, I'm not, you know, established the run and Brandon Thorne and, and all of those guys that are breaking down offensive line play at that level. I, so I I wouldn't be able to say that definitively. I I wonder that a little, but you know whatever the cause is, you have a couple of guys that were drafted in the first and second round to establish an identity as a running game, and the Vikings have kept these players. I mean this is they're not their draft picks, but they did bring back Garrett Bradbury. They have stuck by Ezra Cleveland at least for now. I don't think they're in love with Ezra Cleveland, but they haven't replaced him. So at some point you you kind of become accountable for the players you're putting out there. And it just, it seems like it isn't working. And the, maybe the size you're giving up is part of that, but for whatever reason that the players that they brought in with the idea that they're going to be able to run the ball behind them, haven't been able to get that job done.
0: Let's laugh at the bears before we bid uh, everybody adieu for a minute. (laughs) They ran up the middle on third and seven to settle for a 50 yard field goal. I I just don't, I don't understand some of the decisions when Justin Fields was healthy. Um they weren't necessarily lighting anything up as an offense. Um uh, there was one point Harrison Phillips the nose tackle for the Vikings was unblocked on a play. I don't understand how that happens. I actually think that was the touchdown play for Jordan Hicks because It was. How does that? He I mean the blitz scheme is Metellus the blitz scheme gets them to not block the guy who's like right over center. I don't understand.
1: I think (laughs) I watched that back and they had the running back um, kind of assigned to Phillips. I, I think the center took somebody else because of the, they might've just messed with the protection rules enough that the, the center had to go take whoever was coming through on the blitz and they left Phillips. But, you know, I suppose that's the point of the design. There is, if I can get my nose tackle on your running back, I'm I'm going to try to take that matchup. I'm going to have a size advantage and a strength advantage there. Uh, they certainly use it there. Harrison Phillips flushes him towards Josh Metellus. Metellus comes off and wins around the edge, gets the strip sack. Jordan Hicks picks up and scores a touchdown. But, yeah, that one was uh, not, not a look that you see very often. It's seeing a, a nose tackle. I wonder if Harrison Phillips thought, is, yeah. is there some mistake here? I'm not generally used to running unblocked into the backfield. Yeah. I mean, it's not something you see with a nose tackle very often.
0: No, it's not. Um, we should also mention that Daniel Hunter has two more sacks today, so that's eight through six games on the season. He is uh, getting close to those incentives where he can earn a lot more money this year, and he's setting up to earn himself a lot more money as a free agent next year. Yeah. Um, also, remarkably, he is already... Um, a half sack away from tying Everson Griffin on the Vikings all-time franchise list. Mm-hmm. And then I think he's only like six away from um, Jared, Jared Allen. Allen. Somehow. Yep. So this yeah. guy, this guy could do that uh, easily over the next 10 games.
1: Yeah. I mean, the crazy thing there too is we, we sort of have, I wouldn't say forgotten about him, but he's not mentioned in the stratosphere that you would ex- expect him to have been mentioned in based on the way he started those first, four years of his career, but he's 28 still, maybe 29 later this month, closing out on 80 sacks. And he played, he had two seasons where he played a combined six games. I mean, yeah. if you think about those two years, if he is healthy, you know, you probably add another 20 to that, You know, maybe not quite that many, We would call it 16, whatever. Um, you're talking at that point, about a guy that is closing in on a hundred sacks before his 29th birthday. I mean, that's a heck of a, an output. And it it is interesting. I I'm curious to see how that one's going to go because they don't have anybody else other than him that you can trust to be a pass rusher long-term. I don't know that he's going to resign here. Um, you, know, you you start to wonder, is he going to be a trade candidate if they, in fact, would blow things up? But he's also a really, really talented pass rusher, and it's a complete player. And I think the way they're using him this year makes a heck of a lot more sense than what he was doing last year. And you're just sort of reminded that it's hard to find guys that are of Daniil Hunter's caliber, and they can't pay everybody, and they have a lot of other needs, but I wonder at some point if if somebody would say, Hey, we need to think about trying to keep him. And, you know, again, edge rusher, wide receiver, quarterback in the mix at some point, hard to pay everybody. They have a lot of needs, but it's uh, players like him don't come around very often either.
0: Yeah, even though the Vikings had five sacks, the cupboard is not exactly loaded at pass, right? Rusher. Right. Um, a lot of this is seemingly from uh, B- Brian Flores the blitz heavy schemes and all the five six man pressures that they've been dialing up um to generate all of those sacks so they tied the season high with five today that's going to happen uh against Justin Fields who entered the game uh behind only I believe Sam Howell and ooh, somebody else is behind only two other quarterbacks for getting sacked the most this year so
1: that's Bryce where he's that, at
0: maybe I uh, say that again Bryce Young maybe no, he hasn't played enough. It, I think it would have been... Yeah, I suppose. Gosh, I don't know. I can't remember. Russell Wilson, Desmond Ritter, I can't remember. That but can somebody else that holds the ball. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I feel uh, validated as a uh, Justin Fields hater. I just, I don't think he's that good, and I don't think he played that well today before the injury.
1: No, I mean, really, it was when they had anything going, it was him taking off and running. I mean, it's the old, if you make him play quarterback, it, it doesn't work very well. And they they did keep... Having him drop back into blitzes, which was a choice early. I mean, that that was uh, the Vikings got a lot of pressure early when they kept yeah. doing that. So that was kind of a strange approach rather than trying to get the ball out quick, but they don't really do that with him, like we're saying. I mean, he, he tends to hold the ball and the quick game stuff against blitzes or being able to throw hot. I mean, you just don't see them use a ton of that with him. I I will be very interested. To see how, I mean, because there is a segment of Vikings fans that are already thinking about, I'm sure, I haven't been on Twitter this afternoon to see it, but seeing it all week, I'm sure this is being talked about, that winning that game keeps you further down in the standings and further away from getting the number one pick. And the Bears lose again, and they have the Panthers pick, which right now would be the number one pick in the draft, so... If you are of the fatalistic type or the I hope they lose enough to get the number one pick type and you know there are a few fatalistic Viking fans in the world, the Star Tribune has learned. The Bears having the picks that they have is not going to make it terribly easy for you to get a quarterback because if they give up on Justin Fields and they take Caleb Williams or Drake May who both had bad nights last night and then use the other one either to take Marvin Harrison Jr. or say, we're going to hold this for a King's ransom, they're probably not trading that pick in the division. So, Or you're at least going to pay a premium for it. So this, in that sense, is not a good thing for the Vikings' ability to draft a quarterback. I don't think they're thinking about that explicitly right now in terms of trying to not win games, but it is, uh, it's probably worth at least acknowledging that part of things that we could be dealing with in the next six, seven months here.
0: Yeah. The, this win at least puts that off for a week. And, you know, whereas if they had lost this game, you're essentially guaranteed one in six. And I would think, yeah, with the 49ers, although the 49ers, I overheard in the Vikings locker room. Hey, did you see uh Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel got hurt? Um, the and Vikings are, uh, and they lost true. So, Vikings know they're catching an injured Niners team next week. That'll be the next game Monday night at home at U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, We will talk to you later this week, previewing that game. Until then, please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com.